The IPS Academy provides online courses from some of the best instructors out there on mental health, personal development, lifestyle, nutrition, relationships, mindfulness, improving your life quality, etc. Each course we offer has been made in collaboration with an instructor who has also been a guest here on the Inner Picture Stories podcast. Have a look to see if there's a course to your liking, read the full course descriptions and check out the thousands of positive reviews from students who have taken the course by going to innerpicturestories.com academy. With that, let's dig into the interview. Welcome to the Inner Picture Stories podcast. My name is Jelis Vaas, your host and the founder of Inner Picture Stories, the educational platform on life. I hereby invite you to come on a journey with me. In each episode, we will dive into the life of an inspiring person seeking lessons of wisdom about life and the world we live in. Answers that you can take away and use in your own life. It's true that no one ever said life would be easy, but it's also true that no one ever said you had to do it alone. So get ready and let the journey begin. Um, so I'm not a fan of telling people to quit drinking. I'm not a fan of telling people who haven't drank that they shouldn't drink. I'm a fan of making an educated decision because I think at the end of the day, when we do things as individuals and as a society based on conscious choice, as opposed to some externally exposed restriction, that is much stronger for all of us. This is episode 023 with Scott Pinyard. A warm welcome everyone to a brand new episode of the IPS podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you here and I hope you've been well despite current times. Before I give you more information about our guest for this episode, Scott Pinyard, I would like to make one thing clear to everyone listening. I know the topic of this interview, alcohol, is a touchy one since it is such a part of many societies across so many countries. Therefore, creating an episode where we essentially question it and look more closely at it can be difficult and confrontational for some people. Now, just note the following. This episode is not about telling you that you cannot drink. This is not an episode about judging someone or inflicting guilt or shaming anyone. This is simply an episode like everything we do here at the IPS Project that provides education and a better understanding of a topic that affects our lives. To quote Scott from our interview, I'm not a fan of telling people to quit drinking. I'm not a fan of telling people who haven't drank that they shouldn't drink. I'm a fan of making an educated decision. Now, I could not agree more with those words. And that is exactly what we hope to achieve here in this episode. Now, to announce our guest, out of all the people I could have invited to talk about alcohol, I honestly could not have asked for anyone better than Scott. Scott did such a marvelous job of answering the questions, providing so much insight, clarity and knowledge on this topic, while at the same time bringing a level of empathy that can only come from someone who has known emotionally what it's like to have gone through it themselves. Today, Scott works as the head coach of This Naked Mind, where he trains other coaches while also coaching people who struggle with alcohol. He helps run some of the programs on This Naked Mind, 
and he answers every month some of the more difficult and intense questions about alcohol from people on the podcast of This Naked Mind. Looking at Scott Day, it would surprise you to know that he used to struggle for more than 15 years with frequent and excessive alcohol consumption. It was, in fact, through the book This Naked Mind, Control Alcohol, Find Freedom, Discover Happiness and Change Your Life, written by Annie Grace, that Scott found a way to change his lifestyle. Now, Annie Grace wrote the book after she managed to free herself from the habit of drinking two bottles of wine a night for many years. By approaching her addiction to alcohol differently than most rehab centers do, Annie Grace used what is known today as the This Naked Mind Method to address and change subconscious beliefs about alcohol. Her book has literally helped thousands upon thousands of people to quit drinking. Just have a look on Amazon and you'll see more than 2,500 five-star reviews from people whose lives were changed through this method. And among those people is Scott Pinyard. Now, Scott talks more about how the This Naked Mind method works, but you can also read more about it in the show notes. While, you know, it might sound simple, changing our belief systems more often than not changes everything. So, I hope you enjoy this episode about a most fascinating topic. And I hope you will walk away from this episode not only knowing a great deal more about alcohol addiction, but also understanding how alcohol affects the brain and body. As well, you will also learn how to be there for someone who is struggling with alcohol addiction. And if you yourself might be struggling with alcohol, you will learn here as well how to be there for yourself. As always, in the show notes, you will find all the resources mentioned in this episode, as well as additional helpful information about alcohol addiction. So do definitely have a look at them. You can find the show notes in the description of this episode, or by going directly to innerpicturestories.com slash podcast and search for Scott. With that, please enjoy this interview with the head coach of This Naked Mind, Scott Pinyard. Scott, a uh, warm welcome here to the APS podcast. It's a real honor, honor and pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So I've been wanting to have someone on the show to talk about alcohol for a while now. So I'm really excited actually to finally get the chance to do this interview. When I look for guests to talk about a certain topic, I always look for people who not alone professionally know what they're talking about but also emotionally know what it feels like by having gone through it themselves. You're the head coach of This Naked Mind, where you train the auto coaches. Uh, You also coach people yourself. You help run some of the programs on This Naked Mind. And every month you answer some of the more difficult and intense questions around alcohol from people on the podcast there. You do a lot of incredible work educating and freeing people from alcohol addiction. But... You also struggled for over 15 years with the amount and frequency of alcohol consumption. Yes. So I know I'm going to start this interview off with a question that you've been asked many times, but it will help to provide a foundation here in this interview. You don't wake up one day being addicted to alcohol, right? There is a whole process behind it. Could you share with us how and why alcohol started to become more and more a part of your life? 
Absolutely. Um, so I, it's funny, you know, looking back over my journey, which I've done many times in, in both telling, uh, telling people about it, but also when I was trying to quit myself, um, you know, it started for me, uh, when I got to college. Um, so we have a pretty big, uh, drinking culture, um, in universities here. And, um, you know, I fell right into that. And oddly enough, I was afraid of alcohol because my dad had a problem with it. I knew that other people in my family did and people had warned me about it and I was all scared about it. And then I tried it and I'm like, what are they all upset about? Like, this is awesome. Right. Um, and so, you know, for the first few years that I was drinking, I was drinking what I would call acceptable levels, or at least back then would have called acceptable levels. Like it was a couple of times a week. It wasn't too much and yada, yada. Now, what happens over time um, and what happened to me was that I started to recognize that alcohol provided a shift in my emotional state. And so maybe I had a bad day. Um, maybe I had, uh, you know, failed a test or something like that. Um, and which I failed plenty of tests in college. I was in engineering school. Um, and you know, I would, I would come home and the, the solution to that suddenly started to become having a drink. So I'd be stressed out. And, um, you know, whereas, you know, when I was younger and before I had this, I would start, uh, you know, I'd go for a walk. I'd play some video games. I'd I'd do something. You know, I'd I'd maybe get some energy out, go to the gym, whatever that happened to be. Um, but what started to happen for me in college was that I started to use alcohol to deal with that. And you know, things progress, right? Um, and so pretty soon, it's well, maybe on Fridays. Ah, it's been a long week. I'm looking forward to hanging out and having a few drinks tonight. Turns into every night having a drink turns into every night getting drunk. Um, and by the way, and you've probably discovered this, and I'm sure your listeners have too, life doesn't get easier as we get older, right? Our responsibilities get greater. True. There's more and more challenges. And so when alcohol was the solution to those challenges and I started experiencing more challenges, I, um, I kept turning to that as a solution. And so it was an evolution. You know, I uh, I had a girlfriend all the way through college and then we broke up three months before graduation and I couldn't find a job. And so all of these things were well, I found a job, but it took me longer than I thought. And so all of these things were swirling around in my head and next steps. And what am I going to do? And, you know, I remember my best friend at the time, um, still my best friend telling me, hey, dude, don't worry. We're just going to get drunk every night through graduation you're going to feel better. I remember that conversation and that seemed like a solution at the time. And so every time I did that, I further ingrained, and this is what we all do, I further ingrained this idea of alcohol as a solution into my subconscious mind. And so pretty soon I had to feel not just stress, but any type of discomfort. That was a cue to drink. And so, you know, I went into my professional life. I moved to New York City all alone. I lived in a small basement apartment in Queens. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but being lonely in a city of nine million people is its own unique <laughs> form of loneliness. Yeah, um, totally. And guess what I did with that loneliness? I drank. Right. I was also, by the way, you know, 23 years old. And that's what 23 year old young professionals do. We go to bars, we do stuff um, out. And so alcohol was just a huge part of my life. And so over time, it became the solution to lots of different things I had to deal with. Right. It became not only the solution to negative things, but it actually became a way to celebrate. 
It became a way to engage with other people. And before I knew it, it had a huge hold on my life and I was drinking every single night. Um, and so fast forward about 10 years, you know, I get, I get a job, I get married eventually. Um, I have a kid, end up getting divorced pretty soon, uh, after that kid was born. Um, and all of these things in all of these cases, my solution was alcohol. Um, and that only goes so long until you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm not feeling good every day. Or you start to worry about the health consequences. Um, and this time period, a lot of drinkers run into. And, you know, research, we've seen varying levels of research. Some people, some studies have said it takes about 15 years for someone from the moment that they think, man, I got to change this to when they actually change it. Others uh, say it takes about six. And that is almost exactly what it was for me. It was about five and a half years from when I first had the thought of, I don't know if this is a good idea, all the way through being alcohol free. And that, and that entire five years was a journey. You know, and if you think about, you know, what I was mentioning in the earlier part of my story, that was me relearning how to live. How do I deal with stress? How do I deal with all this stuff that's that's happened to me? How do I deal with this divorce and money problems and career problems and raising a kid? All of that stuff was wrapped up in it. And this is what I hear from people in my programs all the time. It's funny we're talking now. I literally just got off a coaching call uh, with someone talking to me about stress and alcohol. And she saw that the only solution she had to stress was alcohol. You know, and I remember feeling exactly that same way. So the process uh, at This Naked Mind is really about changing those thoughts before we change that behavior. And so that's what I did. I actually quit drinking with This Naked Mind, the book. Um, and I did the thing that the author, uh, Annie Grace, tells us not to do if you read the book. It says right in the book, don't just like slam this book in two days, right? Take your time with it. Um, but I was impatient. Remember, it had been five years that I was trying to quit drinking. So I remember very clearly buying the book on a Friday, coming out of my bedroom on Saturday and telling my wife, that's it. I'm done. You know, and I felt that way. Um, but the reality was that wasn't enough time for me to change my thinking. That wasn't enough time for me to do the work that I needed to do to, to change the way that I saw stuff and change my approach to life and stress and all the reasons I had to drink. Uh, so I went back through the book and I actually took two months. Um, it's not, I mean, it's a big book. It's not a huge book. And so I spent time you know, I spent time going chapter by chapter and journaling, how does this apply to me? What does this mean for me? And through that process was able to change my, my thoughts. And so when I actually quit drinking, um, you know, I, yeah, you know, the, the triggers came up, the times came up when I was like, oh man, this is when I would normally drink, but it felt completely different because my thoughts about it were different. Right. Because I had changed my thinking, I was much more able to get through those cravings. Right. Get around those times when I'm like, oh, I'm stressed. I need a drink. Um, you know, that thought would appeal would pop into my head. And then the thought following it would be, no, you don't go for a walk. Right. But that all happened through work. And so that's what that's what the this naked mind philosophy is about. And that's what we help people do in our programs is how do we change our thinking first and then change our behavior. It's designed to work with your brain as opposed to against it. So thank you for, for sharing uh, your personal story there. Uh, that's really meaningful. So in this interview, I want to provide three things to listeners. 
uh, first of all, a general understanding about alcohol addiction. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the effects alcohol has on the brain and on the body. And lastly, how to help someone struggling with alcohol and how to help yourself if you're struggling with it. So to start with providing a general understanding about alcohol addiction, in one of the Q&As you did on the podcast for This Naked Mind, you talked about the word alcoholic and how health professionals stopped using the word alcoholic. Yeah. Could you also explain here the reason behind that? Sure. Um, so there's there's multiple reasons. Um, first, just let me say, I think that term, um, while it may have served us a uh, hundred years ago, um, doesn't anymore. Uh, because in my own story, I was so scared of calling myself an alcoholic. I didn't want to. And as a matter of fact, resistance, yeah, resistance to that idea um, stopped me from getting help sooner. Right. Um, and I think this is something that the the community has recognized. And so um, what what has happened over time um, is we've gone away from this binary idea of you're an alcoholic or a normal person to something called the alcohol use disorder spectrum. So mm. you can have a mild, moderate or severe alcohol use disorder. Um, and it's it's much like other things, uh, you know, in life where, you know, it's not black or white. And so there can be people that are on the mild end um, that, you know, maybe, you know, these are people that can, you know, just decide one day, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And then there's people on the severe end and the very severe end that have physical withdrawals. We've all heard about things like delirium tremens and people having seizures when they quit drinking, um, and everywhere in between. And so part of the idea of going in this direction and the DSM has, you know, has, has changed this, um, is to first get rid of that stigma. That idea of being an alcoholic. Secondly, um, we know that this is a progressive process. Like in my own story, there was that first time that I drank because of stress and that led eventually to drinking every single night. That didn't, as you mentioned, happen overnight. So maybe earlier on in my story, if I had taken the alcohol use disorder identification test, it's called audit, um, I would have maybe identified as kind of low on the spectrum, right? Of a, of a mild alcohol use disorder. But eventually that progressed to what I would consider a pretty severe alcohol use disorder. Um, and so it is a tool that makes it a lot easier for us to have this conversation about alcohol. So instead of, are you an alcoholic or a normal person, right? Instead of that, we're able to say, you know, do you fall on the spectrum? And by the way, so many people fall on this. Um, and this this may be part of the reason why some people don't like talking about this topic. Like I know for me personally, if it had come up um, earlier in my in my journey and it did, you know, it came up. I had these thoughts and I just shoved them back in my head. But the fact of it is we know that alcohol is addictive to humans, not some humans all humans. And we're all going to be susceptible at different points in our life. Um, and there's a whole bunch of factors that go into that. But if we can have the conversation about it being a disorder and we can have the conversation about it being on a spectrum, then we can have a bigger conversation. And that is what makes a big difference. So we move away from this idea of alcoholic or normal person to, all right, do I fall on the spectrum? And by the way, there's a wide range of people um, that are on there. I'd like to ask you about uh, the signs and symptoms when someone is struggling with alcohol use disorder. But first, like you already said, uh, I can imagine this episode to be very confrontational for some listeners. So before I ask you about the signs and symptoms, um, 
To anyone listening who might feel confronted by some of the questions I ask and the answers you give, Scott, how would you best suggest to them to take this information in? So the This Naked Mind methodology, um, and, and this made a huge difference for me, is based on one thing, and that is having grace for yourself. So no matter what comes up for you with these questions, um, don't beat yourself up. And one of the things that can hold people back um, in their journey, and this is what we see a lot, is people trying to force themselves to quit tricking, trying to beat themselves into submission. Um, and research indicates that that's just not a great way to go about it. Um, that compassion-based change is actually more effective and longer lasting than compulsion-based change. Um, so my number one piece of advice here, um, you know, as we get into this and as people start thinking about it in their own lives, um, is it's okay, right? Like I said, alcohol is addictive to humans. Now we all have a lot of programming around this, Right. We've all seen movies and TV and we know the idea of an alcoholic and I'm not that person. Right. I'm going to ask that people just kind of set that aside for a minute um, and just be honest with themselves. And if they experience resistance. Right. If you experience an emotional reaction to some of this, it's totally OK. But recognize what that's showing you. That is something I wish I had learned earlier on in my journey was that, you know, when this idea came up. I remember a friend one time asking me if I thought it was okay that I was drinking as much as I was. Um, and my response to that was to get super angry. Uh, I almost destroyed the relationship, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, looking back on that now, I recognize that that emotional reaction was because, you know, she touched a nerve. Um, and so if you feel that way, I want you to know, you know, as we talk about this, that it's totally okay that you are not alone. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to tell anyone about it right now. Um, the main thing is that you give yourself the grace and understand the simple fact that alcohol is an addictive substance, not to some people, to everybody. Um, and so if you can, if you can do that and, and listen through this episode, um, then you're able to give yourself some, some space to, to do something about it instead of continuing to suffer. Could you go through some of the signs and symptoms that someone is struggling with alcohol use disorder? Sure. Um, you know, part of what, you know, part of what makes this kind of difficult is that it's going to be different for everybody and it's going to be different at the time, you know, different times in your life. So one of the main symptoms, one of the main things that people will come to us uh, with is, and it just happened to me on a live video I did yesterday too, is someone says to me, um, Scott, I'm drinking every night. I'm seeing negative consequences in my life that I've tied directly to alcohol. But every time I try not to drink, I convince myself to. And so this idea of, you know, uh, waking up in the morning and saying never again, and then by five o'clock having a drink in, in your hand, um, even when there's a conscious desire to not do that is one of the main signs. You know, another sign of that is, you know, how often do you drink to excess, right? How often do you drink till you get drunk? Um, you know, a lot of people will tell me I do that every single night. You know, people telling me I drink two bottles of wine a night or like me, you know, half or maybe even a whole bottle of scotch a night. Um, you know, you start to recognize, wait a minute, 
you know, I'm drinking, I'm drinking a lot more. I'm missing out on my life. Um, and that leads me to another one that people will bring up is they'll bring up experiences where alcohol has really had a negative impact, whether it be, you know, I was talking to someone recently who had been at a wedding, um, and caused, well, to put it mildly, caused a fight, caused a zine. Um, and it was something that when, first of all, they didn't even remember it the next day. And secondly, when they were told about it, they recognized this isn't even the sort of behavior that I would want to exhibit. Um, so starting to exhibit those sort of behaviors, um, not being able to say no to a drink. Um, you know, I work with a lot of people who are um, not that far down the the spectrum, actually. They might only have one or two drinks a night. Um or even less, you know, even just one and not being able to say no to that single glass of wine and having that curiosity of, man, is this good? Um, those are all signs that maybe you've kind of gone, gone in a different direction. Um, there is, if you Google, um, alcohol use disorder identification test, um, there is a test it, it's called the audit. Um, it's a 10 question test and it just gives you, um, a great sort of way to put yourself on that spectrum, you know, and, and so you can rate yourself from, from mild, as I mentioned, to severe, um, but the sort of questions that'll ask you is, you know, like how often during the last year have you failed to do what was normally expected of you? Right. That's another one. Um, I've talked to a lot of people and experienced it myself that, um, you know, job responsibilities, responsibilities around the house, uh, whether it as as a homeowner, or as a parent, start dropping. I start not getting them done. Um, and that was directly because of drinking, um, being injured because of drinking. Right. There are all types of questions. Like I said, there's 10 on the audit and I'll let your audience uh, go ahead and, and, and find that for themselves. But um those questions will help you kind of identify. And in a larger sense, you know, if I were to zoom out a little bit, the, the question that I like to ask people is, is alcohol negatively impacting your life? Right. And that's that's big. Right. That can mean a lot of different things. It can mean a minor inconvenience. That can mean a massive inconvenience. But if you can answer if you answer that question, yes, then it might be worth looking into. So the website that you mentioned uh, for everyone listening that will be linked up in the show notes. Um, out of your personal story, you you already sh shared some of the reasons why people grab to alcohol, but what are some other most common reasons why people start abusing alcohol? Well, one of them is is culture, um, and so you know we do have a culture. Um, not only that suggests that you should drink to celebrate or commiserate, right? Um, baseball games and funerals. Um, but also we have a culture that in some ways glorifies drinking to excess. Um, you know, it is a, it is a unfortunately common thing. And all you got to do is watch a little bit of, of TV here to see that, you know, alcohol is glorified. So that's, that's one big way. Another big way, you know, here is, is sort of the peer pressure element of it. And so what happens because we used to have this definition of what an alcoholic is, this sort of other person, that's not me. That means I can drink as much as I want. And if you're not drink, like, what's wrong with you? Are you one of those alcoholic people or are you normal and can you drink more? And so there's a peer, there's a peer pressure element that I think really contributes to it. Um, I also think that uh, there is this idea of sophistication. 
or this idea of elegance, right? Of something like, um, you know, finely aged wines or oak bale, barreled whiskey. Um, we kind of dress up this addictive substance in all this, this finery. Um, and that can also be misleading, right? That can also be something where people start thinking, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not a you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a sophisticated whiskey drinker. I used to tell myself that. Um, those are those are some of the main ways. But over and over, what I see when people kind of start moving up the up the alcohol use disorder spectrum um, is when emotions get involved. Um, is when you start drinking as a solution to something in your life, whether it be a solution to stress or loneliness or sadness, um, or as as something to celebrate, right? As, wow, this occasion is fantastic. I'm going to make it even better by having a glass of wine. So let's switch gears and uh, talk a little bit about alcohol uh, and the effects of it on the brain and, and on the body. So in preparation for this interview, I also read the book, This Naked Mind from Annie Grace. And when I read the book, it actually gave me the same reaction as I had with the book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker which is a, a book about the latest research effects uh, we know about sleep. It's a fantastic like, book. I love that, by the way. It is, yeah. right? So, you know, we all, we've all heard like that sleep is important, right? But no one has ever really told us how important it is and how harmful it is to not sleep enough. And the same with alcohol. Like we have all heard, you know, someone once tell us that alcohol is bad for our health, but... We are so undereducated about it that very few people truly know how bad it is for us. And it was only after I read the book This Naked Mind that I myself really understood how damaging alcohol can be. Scott, could you give us some insights about the long-term effects that alcohol has on the brain and and on the body? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I tend to focus on this um I'll give you those facts, but I tend to focus on it from a quality of life standpoint. Where to start? So let me start with some of the effects on the body. Um, so we do know that alcohol dehydrates you um, and can cause premature aging, right? People, you know, wrinkles, things like that. Um, I like to start with some of the more superficial stuff, just to be clear that it's it's a fairly big, wide-ranging effect. Um, one of the things that a lot of people are very surprised to learn is that alcohol consumption has been linked to uh, cancer, specifically breast cancer. Um, and this is a this is a fact that a lot of people, when they read it or find out about it in our programs, they just are shocked um, because so much of our culture is caught up in saying, oh, a glass of wine is healthy for your heart. Um, right. Well, this one study says this is the case. Um, that might be an in instance of confirmation bias. Um, so alcohol is is linked to cancer. Alcohol is also linked to a whole host of digestion issues um, that make it more difficult for your body to effectively process uh, nutrients from foods. Um, and that's just the the tip of the iceberg on the physical side of things. On the mental side of things, um, you know, alcohol is called a depressant. And a lot of people get confused by this because they think, well, wait a minute, I drink alcohol to celebrate. But the fact is the net effect of alcohol on our mental health is negative, right? Uh, anyone who drinks regularly knows – will know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about that first drink and feeling that relaxation. You will not feel that good the rest of the night. 
you just won't. If you continue to drink, um, you don't get that level of relaxation. As a matter of fact, um, without going too technical on it, like one of the things that that happens over time is alcohol actually leaves us feeling worse off than when we started drinking. Those effects will sometimes happen the night of the drinking, and a lot of times it will happen the next day. Um, there is alcohol is tightly correlated with depression and anxiety. Um, depression specifically around uh, the uh, the re. Um, what is the word <laughs> around the hangover symptoms and the way that we feel um, and the anxiety very specifically from withdrawal symptoms. And we don't tend to connect the two as often specifically because they happen the next day. Right. So we laugh about it. I remember I used to talk about hangovers being dehydrated. Uh, oh, I'm just dehydrated. Right. No, it wasn't that I was just dehydrated. I was having that. I felt that depression and I felt that anxiety because those were actually my body trying to recover from a night of drinking. Um, and these effects are massive and they, 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 they will touch every single area of our lives. Um, that's another one kind of speaking on a meta level um, that people don't necessarily understand this idea that the you know that, oh, well, we're impaired only when we drink um, is true from a physical standpoint. However, from a mental and emotional standpoint, you know, the effects of alcohol will last a couple of days in your system. Um, and so that's another spa place where people are very uh, concerned uh, when they start to recognize, oh, wait a minute, this depression and anxiety is leading me to make choices and do things in my life that I wouldn't otherwise do. Um, there's a whole host of other effects. And to be honest with you, we don't go into a ton of details about that in the program. And the reason for it um, is that we want you to understand how alcohol is affecting you mentally and emotionally. Um, and we want to then change your thinking around it. This isn't about beating ourselves up. This isn't about, you know, the obvious things that people worry about, like getting cirrhosis of the liver, right? We all know these facts. This isn't this is anything new. Um, and as a matter of fact, understanding how it's how it's affecting our thinking is the most positive way um, that we found to be able to to help people make that change. So, of course, you have the reasons why, you know, people grab to alcohol, which, as you already pointed out, can be, uh, you know, relationship difficulties or stress or other mental health problems such as depression or past trauma. But and this might be also a technical question, uh, but what actually happens in the brain that makes alcohol addictive? And as well with that, why why does alcohol feel like a good coping tool for so many people? That's a great question. Um, and so a couple of things. I want to explain this from sort of a technical standpoint, but also a conceptual standpoint, if I can, um, because it's kind of easier to understand them uh, differently. So from a technical standpoint, what happens is as our blood alcohol content rises, it causes the release of endorphins. And those endorphins help us feel fantastic. Um, these are similar to what happens when we, um, you know, you go for a long run or you have a big workout, you start to feel that relaxation afterward, you start to feel good. Now our brains are based, um, one of the main tools of our brain neurochemically is to maintain what we call homeostasis and homeostasis is just like a level operating state, right? Not too happy, not too sad, not too excited, not too bummed out. Um, and so what happens is this, this high release of endorphins causes our brains to fall out of homeostasis. And in reaction to that, they release uh, something called dynorphin. And what dynorphin will do, you can consider it a downer. 
So, you know, you take that first drink and as you're taking that first drink, you have that big rush of endorphins, you get out of homeostasis. And so then your body releases dynorphin to try to bring you back down to baseline level. Um, but what, what happens when we do that is we actually fall below baseline level. Right. We actually get we go not to where we were before we started drinking. We started to we start to feel even worse. This is one of the things that triggers us to take that next drink. And then we get another hit of endorphins and then we fall again. And so this all happens with the rising and falling of blood alcohol content. Um, another thing, um, and this is something I'm always careful about because uh, dopamine in a lot of ways gets a bad rap, I think. Um, but dopamine is the, the wanting chemical. It's a chemical, the neurochemical that's helping you say, oh, this is where I want to go. This is what I want. And so you get an artificially high um, uh, level of dopamine when you drink alcohol. Um, and research has shown over and over that this artificially high level of uh, this artificially high dopamine response is a huge part of the reason that alcohol becomes addictive uh, from this sort of technical standpoint. Um, and so what happens is you get this huge hit of dopamine every time you drink. Um, and that dopamine helps us feel good, right? We've satisfied that itch. And so that's what we're looking forward to. And as a matter of fact, it's when the blood alcohol content crashes, right, which takes about 20 to 30 minutes that we start to feel anxious and jittery again and maybe a little bit depressed. And if feeling depressed is what caused us to drink in the first place, the thought we have is time for another drink. I yeah. got to go with another drink. And, you know, regular people who drink regularly will know exactly what I'm talking about when maybe you're out with friends or you're you're um, on your own and you're you have a drink and you finish that first one There starts to get this this sort of angsty feeling. Um, that is actually blood alcohol content crashing. That's dynorphin taking effect and overshooting your baseline. Um, so that's what it is from a technical standpoint. What it is like from an experiential standpoint um, is that, you know, you start to feel that need to have a drink. You feel this desire like, oh, I need to have a drink. Um, and it's a craving. It's 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 a, both a conscious thought and, and a physical feeling in your body. Um, and again, because what your brain is looking for is that dopamine response. When you actually have that drink, you get that hit of dopamine. Um, and then at, over time that wears off. And so you have the desire to get it again. Um, now, when you combine this with the psychological aspects, with the aspects of alcohol becoming a solution for us, with the thought that alcohol is how I deal with stress or loneliness or anger, or any other number of negative emotions, that's how alcohol becomes addictive because we have this physical, um, excuse me, this physical process happening of the endorphins and the dynorphin and this big, uh, this big dopamine hit. And we have the thoughts and beliefs that are reinforcing this. So this thought that, um, man, I deserve a drink or this belief that I need alcohol to relax. Those two things, uh, happen simultaneously. Actually the, the chemicals end up causing the beliefs. Uh, but at any rate, um, that is how alcohol becomes addictive, right? That is what the process is. And many of us slip into it without being aware of it. Like very, I don't think I've ever met someone who starts drinking and said, you know what? I'm going to get addicted to this, <laughs> right? That's not, that's not how it goes. 
how it goes is over most of the time, years of experience for drinking for various reasons and experiencing these fluctuations in blood alcohol content and mood that because we get in this negative mood, we don't attribute it to alcohol. We attribute it to the problems in our life. And so alcohol becomes more of a solution, not less. That's how, that's how this cycle starts. You know, living in a society where drinking is the norm and it is in many countries, it makes me actually uh, quite afraid if at one point I would have children uh, to throw them out there into such a society. Yeah. Um, if you look at the most common used substance by adolescents, it is alcohol. You know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Drinking is cool. It's what everyone does, even though any health professional will say that alcohol is not alone addictive, but also not good for the development of the brain. And I truly wonder about this next question, but how can parents, uh, teachers or other caretakers install a better education around alcohol to young people? How would you approach this, Scott? And what would be some practical suggestions? So that's a great question. And one that I've thought about a lot. I have a uh, six-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. Um, and I think a lot about that, um, specifically... You know, I don't think that demonizing it is a good idea, because if you remember, I told you in my story, I was afraid of it. Right. That's what I was told when I was a kid. Not that it was demonizing me. My parents drank all the time, but I was told, be careful, watch out for this thing. Right. And, you know, particularly, you know, here in the States, drinking age is 21. So there's this idea that it's a thing for adults, which, by the way, um, 21 may be a little bit low. Not that I'm advocating for (laughs) raising the drinking age, but the fact of the matter is our prefrontal cortex in our brain is not fully developed until later in our 20s. So we're not necessarily even in a good place to make responsible decisions at that point in our life. Anyone who's 30 or over can look back in their early 20s and probably be like, yep, that's completely true. (laughs) I made some boneheaded decisions then. Um, But so, you know, back to the question of like how to talk to kids about it. One thing that I try to do is I just try to be honest You know, I try to point out to them, you know, my daughter is very curious. She remembers, you know, I quit drinking a little over four years ago now and she remembers when I quit and she remembers. And so she has a lot of questions about it. And so, you know, I talk to her about this idea that, you know, it's an addictive substance. Uh, I find that. Uh, for her, at least comparing that to nicotine with all of the education that kids get nowadays about smoking um, and saying it's addictive like nicotine, um, that sets a light bulb off. Um, you know, another thing that I do is I, I, I share my own experience, but I also share the experience of others, you know, and I explain to them why it's addictive. I explain some of the ideas behind this. And then the last thing I'll do is I'll point out some of that societal conditioning. Some of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, you see all those people drinking a toast at a wedding, you know, and my daughter, her name's Jane. Jane will ask me, like, why are they doing that? And I'll say tradition. And just the fact that she's asking that question indicates to me that she's hearing what I'm saying. Um, So I find that the most effective ways to deal with this is an open and honest conversation. I also, by the way, a lot of people ask me, like, are you going to let your kids drink? Um, My response to that is I don't have any control over my kids. You know, I don't have control over what they choose to do, whether they're out of friends while they're in high school or when they're at college or when they're grown up. My key is to help. My idea is to help them understand for themselves what alcohol is, what it does and the reality behind all of it. And by the way, you know, talking about this idea of social conditioning, that's applicable to way more than alcohol. 
right? This is a larger parenting lesson in helping your kids um, figure out who they are and who they want to be and not care so much about what's going on outside. But I don't hide it from them. Like I don't hide from them the fact that there's a whole lot of that social conditioning. There's a whole lot of pressure to drink. There's a whole lot of expectation um, from many different cultures in many different ways that drinking is how we deal with this. Um, and that's just part of the conversation. So, you know, to answer this a little bit more succinctly, it really is about a direct conversation about alcohol and its effects, as well as my own experience and helping them question things in their own life. Um, I've found it to be so satisfying to have conversations with my daughter about this and talking about, you know, things she sees on television and things she, you know, hears in different places and, you know, even having parties, you know, with our, at our house, um, you know, just things that she sees and really keeping that dialogue going. That's what I think is the most, the most effective. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, providing this education and this understanding on that topic uh, that a lot of people don't even talk about to their children. So it's great, actually, a way to do this. Yeah. All right, Scott. Sorry, one was... other thing I was going to say is one of the yeah, reasons sure. I think that conversation doesn't happen um, is because people are struggling with it personally. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be having this conversation with my 10-year-old if I was still, you know, if I was still drinking. Um, and I think that makes it even harder because, you know, as adults, as parents, we're caught up in the same conditioning that we're trying to talk to our kids about. Um, so it, it, it can, it can be difficult for sure. Scott, let's hop over to the last part of this interview where I'd like to ask you a few questions around supporting someone struggling with alcohol use disorder, but also how to be there for yourself if you might be struggling with it. So there are many programs out there to help people with alcohol addiction from the work that you've been doing over these last years, working for this naked mind and helping to free people from alcohol addiction, what are some of the things you see some of these other programs do that you do not agree with or that simply aren't effective when you want to stop drinking? And with that question, I, I'd also like to ask, what would be effective first steps that you would suggest to people if they want to drink less or stop drinking? So I'm going to answer your question partially by rejecting the premise. <laughs> um, so, you know, this is a this is a very um, this is a very complex issue for people. Um, people will experience it in very different ways. And so while there may be a lot of commonality, you know, if I get a people, a bunch of people at one of our live events and I say, how many of you drank because of stress? Almost every single hand is going to go up. However, the way we experience that is going to be different. And so to that end, um, you know, we don't we don't take a stance on um, what does or doesn't work in other programs. If it works for you, then it's good. So my father is 17 years alcohol free because of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, my best friend is getting close to five years now, maybe even six. Um, I tried AA that didn't do it for me. You know, I didn't feel it. Um, that doesn't mean AA doesn't work. That means that, you know, in my particular situation where I was in my life with what I needed and what I wanted, um, it just wasn't a solution that fit at that time, but it has fit for lots of other people. Um, and so I don't tend to say, you know, this works, this doesn't work. 
what we try to say at this naked mind um, is that we have this methodology. Um, it's something that has worked for a lot of people and maybe it would work for you. So the sort of things, uh, if you find yourself in that situation and you find yourself uh, wondering, I don't know about this, I don't know what to do about this, um, I highly recommend heading over to This Naked Mind, the website, as a place to start. We have a lot of free content. Uh, our podcast, uh, we've got, you mentioned the Coaching Questions podcast, Annie interviews people. And this was one of the things that was a huge part of my journey was just listening to different people's stories. Um, and listening to what what they uh, what they did. Um, so on our podcast, you know, Annie interviews. She's got a, a couple of stories every month, and she answers readers' questions. I answer readers' questions, um, and it gives you an idea of what this methodology is like. Um, and if it's for you, awesome. We'd love to have you in some of our programs. If it's not, keep looking. There are so many different ways um, that are out there. Uh, the main thing, and this is what our methodology is based on, is how does it feel to you? Does it feel like something that you want to explore more? Does it feel like a place you want to go? Because again, this compassion-based change and changing from a place of desire as opposed to a place of force um, is what makes our methodology um, unique, I think, and what, what makes us kind of stand out a little bit. Um, so there is really nothing that I've seen that I could say like that absolutely doesn't work that I, you know, that I call out at least publicly. Um, but what, what I do tend to to talk about are some main elements, um, that I think you'll find in a lot of different programs. Um, and so the first of these is community, um, being around other people who have experienced what you're experiencing, um, and being a part of the conversation, um, and being able to ask someone who's farther ahead on the journey than you, like, how did you deal with this? How did you deal with that? And whatever way that you talk about it is a gigantic component to this. Um, we try to come, you know, we're an online company, so we provide a lot of this online, um, with connection in various different ways, but that same thing happens in meetings, whether it's AA or smart recovery. Um, so Community is a big aspect of it. Um, the next uh, big aspect of it is your relationship with yourself. And very specifically, um, being able to understand your needs and be honest with yourself about it. Again, this happens in all different types of programs. We have different ways of getting there. Um, but being able to be honest with yourself, which, you know, we do as, as, as drinkers, you know, I know that for me personally, I crammed this thought down for years. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. When you can be honest and say, you know what, I got to do something about it, that is the first part of your journey. So community and honesty with yourself are really the two main main things that I see as the ingredients to move forward. Now, there's all, like I mentioned, there's all different types of programs and there's all different ways that can happen. So if, you know, if you are someone who is struggling and you're not sure where to turn, my first suggestion is always to research go out, read some books. I mean, that's what I did. I, I read a lot of different books before I came upon this naked mind. You know, I researched, I tried out AA meetings. I tried out smart recovery. I did different things until I found something that worked for me. The good news here is that there are a lot of different methods that you can use to change this part of your life. Um, and all it takes is for you to, to spend some time looking into those and find out which one feels the best and pursue it. So this next question is probably also going to be more complex to answer. Um, 
But, you know, alcohol addiction not alone ruins the lives of those who are addicted to it, but it also affects the people who love them greatly. Uh, you know, watching a family member, a friend or a co-worker struggle with alcohol use disorder is just painful. Uh, knowing that they would live such a better life if they could work on this addiction, right? Now, one of the most frustrating parts is that motivation always has to come internally from that person. Uh, you know, you cannot give uh, convince someone to stop drinking. They, they have yes. to want to do that themselves, right? Yeah. But is there any approach at all to help someone see that alcohol is controlling their life and that they are negatively being affected by it? Uh, in other words, are there actually some effective steps someone could take to be there and help someone struggling with alcohol addiction? That's a great question. Um, and I'm going to, it is complicated. You're right. I'm going to answer it in a couple of different ways. Sure. Um, so first, um, if you are someone who has suffered from this in the past, that is one of the best ways, uh, that's, or I'll put it this way. That's one of the more qualified people to talk to someone about it. Um, so, you know, my wife, um, multiple times asked me about my drinking. Um, and, uh, that conversation didn't go well and that's, that's on me. Um, but part of what I was saying is, well, she doesn't understand what the hell is she talking about? You know, she doesn't get it. Um, and so I, I was resistant in that sense. So if you are someone who struggled with it before and there's someone, a loved one in your life that's struggling with it, approaching it from that direction can help. Um, next, you know, if you're not one of those people, if it's not clear to you, uh, if you don't understand, and that's, you know, again, my wife will say like, I didn't get it. I didn't understand why you had to drink every night. Like I've just haven't been through it. Um, if you do want to open up a dialogue, my best suggestion about that is opening up uh, a place to talk, not a place to blame, not a place to shame a whole big part of this naked mind. Um, is about um, is about not blaming ourselves or others and not and not taking this approach of of shame and beating ourselves up and calling ourselves, you know, something other than a human. Um, and so if you find yourself in that situation and a loved one, um, a loved one is is suffering from this offering to talk letting them know that you'll be there, but also being aware of the fact that this process will take time for them. They have to be at a place where they can accept this. Um, and one of the best things that someone who's, you know, who's around someone who's suffering from this can do um, is take care of themselves. What I see very often, and we've actually um, put a course together for this um, called Helping a Loved One. It's not out quite yet. One of the things that I see happening very often is that the people closest to the person suffering um, start focusing their their energy on that person, right? Because they want to help that person. They want to help that person get better. But what happens in that process is their own health deteriorates, right? Their own mental or physical health. They stop maybe working out or stop doing the things um, because they're the, they stop doing the things that can help them because they're so focused on this other person. So one of the best things you can do as someone who's in the life of of someone who's addicted. Um, is take care of yourself, is be there for them, is be ready for when that time comes, when they make that decision. Um, finally, you know, the thing that I will say is voicing your concern, standing up for your own needs and being able to say, hey, you know, I'm really concerned about you with the amount that you're drinking um, might be a very uncomfortable conversation. But it is very often those conversations that help us 
drinkers recognize, oh, maybe this isn't all in my head. Because remember, you know, as you go through this process, you might start to think once in a while, oh, I should probably stop this. But then, you know, like I know for me, I'd look around and no one's complained about it. Right. And then I start finding other people who drink as much or more than me. And I'm like, well, he does it or she does it. So it's probably okay. Um, We will rationalize because of the nature of addiction and because of the nature of belief, we'll rationalize our way into continuing to drink. And so having someone close to us say, hey, I think this is affecting us. It can it can change that rationalization pretty quickly. And like I said, you know, sometimes people might react poorly to it. um, But understanding that as someone who cares and understanding that very often a little nudge from the outside can make all the difference and approaching it with grace and forgiveness and love as opposed to force and anger, um, that can change the whole equation. Scott, I just have three more questions left uh, for you. So I would actually like to ask you a question about shame um, because um, a difficult problem with many addictions are two things, shame and the stigma around it. Yes. Uh, it's also often, you know, the reason why people don't seek help. Um, does it so crucial that we can lower the stigma around addiction, in this case, alcohol addiction? How as a society can we reduce the stigma around alcohol? And with that, how can anyone who is struggling with alcohol also feel less ashamed of their problem? So this is one of the things that, you know, that I struggled with a lot. And I know when I talk to people in our programs, they struggle with it as well. And the first step to this, which I think has already happened, although this word is still very deeply ingrained in our culture, um, is throwing out the notion of an alcoholic. Um, That is harmful. That isn't helping. Uh, People will spend time convincing themselves they're not an alcoholic when they might be on the alcohol use disorder spectrum, as opposed to dealing with the drinking itself. So one of the first things that, you know, that we've done as a company, like we don't use the word alcoholic. Um, We choose not to use that label mainly because of the damaging effects that it's had in so many people's journeys. Um, And so that's one of the first things is recognizing the fact that this is not a binary thing. You're not an alcoholic or a normal person. Um, Alcohol is addictive to all humans. And so recognizing that and understanding it, you know, we don't call smokers nicotinaholics, (laughs) right? Um, We don't do that. And the reason is, is that we know that alcohol, that nicotine is addictive to humans. Alcohol the same way. So what you're talking about here is a huge shift in society, Right. Really big. I mean, think of all of the things that we have, you know, we toast with alcohol. Think of all of the ways that alcohol is ingrained in our culture. So it's a big it's a big movement. But one of the first things we can do is to stop using that word alcoholic and get to understand where the science is taking us, which is not in this binary direction, but more in a place of um, of a spectrum. Second, um, and this is something that's a personal choice, but those of us who have struggled with it, beginning to speak out a little bit more and beginning to change the face of what an alcohol use disorder is, is a big part of the conversation. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, generally if you watch a movie, uh, well, not all movies, but if you watch a lot of movies with someone who's drinking too much, someone who's a quote unquote alcoholic, they tend to be, you know, irresponsible and just like you watch a show like intervention as an example. Um, you know, there's all these negative consequences in their life and they end up being, you know, 
they end up being this this way down the road um, person who's had all of these problems. We need to recognize the fact that problems start well before that, right? Like I held down a job. I had a family. I had a marriage. I got married again. You know, I was able to buy a house. I was able to do all of these things, yet I was still on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. And so recognizing that this is not something that only afflicts some people, that a lot of people are are somewhere on that path um, and that it's okay because alcohol is addictive. Um, That's another place where people like me who who had that experience can speak up and start changing that that view of it. Um, It's something that's going to take time. You know, the more of us that are out there that choose to be alcohol free, not because we have some quote unquote disease, but because we say, you know what, life's better without alcohol. That's how things start changing. Um, so that's a couple of things is, you know, really understanding that the the term alcoholic is negative, really understanding that this happens on a spectrum, that this is something that can grow over time. And that, by the way, lots and lots of people are somewhere on this road. Um, that's what takes it from it being about the other to it being about all of us. And I think that is what we need in order to change the real perception of this. Mm. This next question is going uh, to sound funny, but because alcohol is such a big part of our society, it can be a real struggle um, when you know someone wants to drink less or when someone wants to quit drinking to justify this to their friends and to the people around them. And it sounds so ridiculous to say, yet it's honestly a real problem. People make fun of you or even look down on you if you don't drink or don't drink much. What are actually some good ways to approach this when you go to a party and you don't want to drink? Are there any, you know, techniques or ways that you would suggest uh, people to approach that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the thing that I found to be the most effective for me is the following line. And I still say it. I still say it to people, although most of my friends and family now know what I do for a living. So it doesn't come up. But um, I will say I'm drinking exactly as much as I want to. That just happens to be nothing. You know, it just happens that I that I don't want to actually drink anything. You know, it just happens that it's not something that I actually um, I actually desire. Now, that may or may not help, especially um, if, you know, you're like me and you have drinking buddies that you're going out with on a regular basis and all of a sudden you show up and, and order a Coke. Um, you know, there's 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 definitely some questions that get asked. And so, you know, I have three different ways um, that I at least give people as ideas that they can address this. Um, the first is just the head on way, just a very simple statement, not a oh, I'm an alcoholic and, you know, I have lived this whole drama. Um, you know, that may be appropriate for some people to to talk about that. But for most of our friends, um, the reality is just saying something along the lines of, you know, alcohol just wasn't serving me anymore. I didn't feel better the next day. I don't think it actually had any purpose in my life. Um, that's an amazing, powerful statement to make that opens up a whole world of possibility for us. Um, So there's that route. There's the direct route of talking about that. And again, not from a victim place, but from a place of, and that's what we talk about a lot in our own programs, this place of, this is a choice for me. This is a choice I'm making to live a better life. Um, People respect that. Um, You know, it's so funny that like, 
with our culture and everything the way it is, not drinking is actually the rebellious act. Like not <laughs> drinking is actually yeah. punk. <laughs> and so understanding that and saying, no, I'm making this conscious change. That's one way to do it. Another way to do it. And that, this is uh, what I, I did a lot of is just humor. You know, I just make a joke about it. Uh, something like, you know, you know what? No, thanks. I've had, uh, all the alcohol I was supposed to drink in the next five years already. <laughs> right. You know, just being able to say something like that, something lighthearted, it helps. Um, and you know, finally the, the last approach, um, is really to punt. Um, and a lot of people will do this. I did this as well. So when I quit drinking, I was training for a go ruck event, uh, which is kind of one of those obstacle course events. And so I just had that excuse, you know, I said, no, thanks. I'm training. I gotta, I gotta get out early tomorrow morning. Um, some people will talk about being on medication or trying to lose weight. Um, so sort of the swap out, right. The, the answer when, when you don't want to really talk about it, maybe you're not ready to, to say, you know what, I've made this choice in my life, but you want to end that conversation. You can just use that. Um, and it's, it's effective. Um, ultimately drinkers hang out with drinkers. Uh, and so a lot of us will run into this at some point, um, in, in trying to change our behavior. And the biggest thing is just to understand that your choice is your choice. Um, and if others don't understand it, that's ultimately on them. Um, and one last thing I'll point out about it specifically about drinkers hanging out with drinkers. Um, one thing that happens when someone in a group of friends decides to quit drinking is they're ultimately holding up a mirror to the rest of the people in the group. Um, and that can be uncomfortable. And so with people in our programs, you know, I'll, I'll remind them of what it was like when they were still, um, not at a place of acceptance with the fact that they wanted to change and what it would feel like for someone to hold up a mirror to them and to really approach that conversation with empathy and grace for the people um, that you're having it with. Um, and very often, um, a combination of those ideas will help them get over that bridge, which by the way, is never as bad as we think it's going to be. Um, I see this over and over and over in our programs. People are so afraid of this conversation and so afraid of who's going to say what and what's going to happen. And the worst fears that people have are extremely rarely realized. Almost always how we imagine it to go is way worse than how we uh, than how it actually goes. And, and we have tools and, and tactics that people can use to, to deal with that fear. So, Scott, a last question here that I like to throw at you and one that by now I think a lot of listeners are wondering about. Should we give up drinking alcohol? Whoa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. So I, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, so I am, uh, I am not a proponent personally, and I'm speaking from a personal standpoint here, um, although I think Annie Grace would probably resonate with this. Um, I'm not a, a, a proponent of telling people what they should do. Yep. Um, and to that end, like, I don't think that, uh, and again, personally, I don't think we should reenter the era of pro prohibition here in the United States where it becomes illegal. Um, I think the much more powerful thing and the much more beneficial thing to us in, as individuals, but also as society is to make an empowered choice. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, did alcohol add to my life? No, it didn't. Do I know of people for whom, um, you know, alcohol has had only a positive effect in their life. Nope, I don't. Um, but does that mean that everyone should quit drinking? No, 
I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's up to all of us to understand where we stand with it. There are people um, who successfully moderate. Now, when I've said over and over that drinking or that alcohol is addictive to humans, it is. And I think if you were to spend time, given enough time in the right circumstance and the right amount of scotch, anybody can get addicted to alcohol. But whether or not you're on that spectrum has a lot to do with your own life and the choices you've made so far. And I don't see the need to tell people not to drink. Um, personally, for me, I, it's just not something that worked out. And long term, it's not something that works out for most people. Um, but it's really important, I think, that people come at this from a space of understanding where they're personally at, as opposed to someone else saying, don't do that. Um, so I'm not a fan of telling people to quit drinking. I'm not a fan of telling people who haven't drank that they shouldn't drink. I'm a fan of making an educated decision because I think at the end of the day, when we do things as individuals and as a society based on conscious choice, as opposed to some externally exposed restriction, um, that is much stronger for all of us. Mm. Well, that's such a great answer. Scott, thank you just so much for doing this interview and the incredible work you do together with Annie Grace and, and everyone else working uh, at this Naked Minds. You and everyone there can be so proud of yourself. So there's one final end question that I ask all my guests here on the show that I like to ask you too. But before I ask that question, what is the best place people can find and connect with you, Scott? And where can people learn more about this Naked Minds? Yeah, so check us out at our website, thisnakedmind.com. Um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of free resources there, the blog, and um, we have um, lots of lots of different things to help uh, you educate yourself. Um, we also have a, a very active Facebook group. Um, Andy and I regularly do live videos in there as well. So thisnakedmind.com and also the This Naked Mind Facebook group. All right, great. So all of that will be linked up in the show notes for everyone. So the last question I have for you, Scott, from everything that you've seen, experienced, lived and learned in your life, what is the one thing you know to be true? Wow. Um, the one thing that I know to be true is that eventually with enough education and enough time, we are all capable of finding the answers and solutions that are right for us. Um, and that doesn't necessarily um, just pertain to alcohol. Um, everything in life from the choices of what we think and what we believe to how we live to whether or not we choose to drink, those are all things that are highly personal and highly individual. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is that we have the answers we need and it's up to us to uncover them. And those answers might change over time. You know, 15 years ago, alcohol was a thing that was, I did want in my life. Um, but the one thing that I know now that I, I didn't necessarily know then is that we are all capable of finding those things to help us live a better life. And we're all capable of engaging in those things and changing ourselves so that we are living the life we want to live. I talk to a lot of people who feel like they can't help themselves who feel like they can't uh, change in this way that they want to change. And I point out to them all the time that the fact that me and you are having this conversation right now means you are capable. 
right? It means you are capable of finding what you want. So, and I guess I'm getting to this in a roundabout way, but I think that that ultimately for me, um, the biggest thing I've learned is that we are capable of knowing the answers for us and we're capable of doing what we need to do to get to those answers, even when we feel like we're not. Mm, beautiful. Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. And that concludes yet another episode here on the IPS podcast. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Scott Pinyard, head coach of This Naked Mind. I hope that you have also gained more information and a better understanding of alcohol. To find any of the resources mentioned in the episode, as well as additional helpful knowledge about alcohol, be sure to check out these show notes, which can be found in the description of this episode, or by going directly to innerpicturestories.com podcast and search for Scott. With that, I hope to welcome you again soon to another episode, another journey here on the IPS podcast. Until then, this is your host, Yelis Vaas, signing off.